So, great big good morning to everyone this morning. It is wonderful to have you here. I'm Pastor Chuck Blair of New Church Live, and we have a wonderful service ahead for you. And we're, just so you know, we're doing format a little bit differently in that we're trying to, again, we have such a big audience, we want to get right into it. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to hop right into it today. And, it, and it's a fun service, you know, as we look at two of me, two of you, two of us. And we're at the last part, the two of us. And the idea, folks, that, that we all have these different parts of our personality. Some parts that are really good, the better angels of our nature, and other parts that maybe not quite what we would love to have. And that's what we're going to be talking about today is, is how they can actually show up in communities. Now, now, it comes back to this basic idea, folks, when you look at this, this schematic. There's, there's our life, there's an outer life, and there's an inner life. An outer life, an outer self, and an inner self. And, and that these circles... These circles are all kind of embedded within each other. And so much of life, what we see is we see the outside. We see the very outside of it. And then, and then there's this outer self that's kind of all our worries and concerns. And then there's this deep inner self that we get a chance to really celebrate. I know this weekend it was interesting going from doing a memorial service to doing a wedding just a few hours later and, and with all that, you get, to, you get this deep sense of, of really, yeah, what's the, what's the preciousness here? Because they're both precious. They're both precious. And they both remind us of this, of this deep, beautiful inner self that all of us have. And this is one of the most optimistic things I know. This comes from a piece of our theology. It says, we have an inner and an outer nature our inner formed in the image of heaven and our outer formed in the image of the world. Now, now what does that mean? You know, if, if we have this deep inner nature that actually the, at our core is so connected to heaven, what does that mean? What are the implications there for our life? And, and I want to talk about that for a second. I think, I think when we come over and we stand in that place of that deep inner nature, it gives us a new perspective around what love really is. I said this last week, and I've been pulling around in my head a lot because I think it's super significant. Can we, should we, hold love as more than just an emotion? Can we, should we, hold more than love, more than, more, that love is more than just an emotion? Emotions, folks, they just, they come and they go. They're transitory. But there's a way in which if I can get, okay, so there's an inner part of me that's made in the image of heaven, which means there's an inner part of me that's made in the image of love. And that's true for me, and that's true for you, and that's true for us. That gives a very different, I mean, just, just like think about the foundational element of that. Think about how, how foundationally true that is. And what if we lived that? What if, what if we really saw that in each other? Despite the challenges, despite all the other stuff of life, so, with, so that when we stepped back into our life, that we knew that all that was true. Those views, folks, I think, give a very different idea of what it means to be true to yourselves. What does it mean to be true to ourselves? What does it mean to be 
be true to the better angels of our nature. I think there's, a, there's, there's just a life there. There's a life that we can look at. There's an emotional sobriety we can experience. And there's this phrase that I want to share with you. There's also this chance for churches and communities to be what is called an eternal witness. Love that phrase, an eternal witness. What does that mean? Well, that means if, if we get down to this idea of, of love as a foundational part of our lives, that means that we can start to have an, an eternal witness. We start to have a witness to life that is much broader than the, than the particular slice of time that we live in or the particular event that we find ourselves immersed in because, because we start to understand things in much, much broader ways. Miroslav Wolf, a quote I love, you know, hope is love stretching into the future. That is the essence of being an eternal witness. It's the essence of being able to see love in its broadest sense. I, I think for those of us who have, uh, you know, a grandchild or a child or, or, you know, a favorite niece or a favorite nephew or a favorite friend, like, so much of life is that reminder, right? That there, that there really is this bigger picture. There really is this eternal witness. I think, back, I think back, you know, as a high school teacher for a long time, I think back to how terrifying it is to be a teenager. It's absolutely terrifying. I feel like anybody who says I want to go back to high school, I want to tell them, you forgot. You're not remembering properly. It's horrible. And granted, it has great moments and, you know, all that stuff. But, but it's a tough time. And, and folks, and I'm here to tell you, all these years doing, doing counseling with couples, no one has ever told me, we talk about this, no one has ever told me the best years of their life were junior high school. Never happened. But there's a way, I think, with this eternal witness. When we start to see it, and we're able to hold that for each other, told this much larger perspective. And isn't it interesting that this much larger perspective gets deeply grounded on this inner self, the acknowledgement of the inner self, the living from this inner self that is made in the image of heaven. So as the musicians come out, I want you to think about that for a minute. Think about what that might mean in your life. And then when we come back, I want to talk more about, like, yeah, and, and how is it that we do that? And looking at it both, how do we do it at a church and a community level? Like, how do we really start to bump this out in deeply meaningful, in deeply meaningful ways? Hey, New Church Live, it's Angela. I just wanted to hop on and record this message to invite you all to consider making a donation to New Church Live. We rely on the support and generosity of this congregation to fuel everything we do here. And we wanna make it as easy as possible to make a donation. So there's a handful of ways to do that. There's a QR code that is popping on the screen right now that you can use and will take you to our donation page. Or you can text the word New Church Live, all one word, all lowercase to 77977. Or you can go to our website, www.newchurchlive.tv, and there's a donation tab there. And all of those various places will allow you to make a one-time donation 
or if you want to um, set up a reoccurring donation, that's what I've done. And it really has made things super easy. Um, and I know that I'm consistently supporting New Church Live on a regular basis and I don't even have to think about it. Uh, so for me, that's a win. So I'd encourage you all to consider making a donation or setting up a reoccurring donation. Um, and our website is also a great place to go to get any information about events, community service opportunities, scheduling a meeting with Pastor Chuck, um, and so we just encourage you to use that um, and we encourage you to make a donation no matter when you're watching this service. If you're watching it currently live or you're watching it a week from now or a month from now, um, the best way to donate to New Church Live is to go online and make a donation. So we hope that you will use those resources. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out. And we just are so appreciative of all your generosity and support for this amazing congregation. So thank you everyone and have a great day. save time in a bottle the first thing that I'd like to do to save every day till eternity passes away just to spend them with you if I could make days last forever Words could make wishes come true I'd save every day like a treasure And then again I would spend them with you But there never seems to be enough time To do the things you want to do once you find them I looked around enough to know that you're the one I want to go through time with. If I had a box just for wishes, Dreams that had never come true The box would be empty Except for the memory of how They were answered by you But there never seems to be enough time To do the things you want to do Once you find them Looked around enough to know you're the one I want to go through time with. What a, what a beautiful song, you know, and it brings to mind, like we want to say welcome to one of our newest additions to New Church Live, Little Baby Phil. 
And uh, yes, little, little Phil. And uh, yeah, you know, again, we have so many young adults and you know, we got four baptisms in the shoots uh, coming up with some of these little ones. And, and it, just, yeah, it just has me thinking, right? Like, like what's, what's the kind of communities we want to build? And how can we build churches and communities that have this very same paradigm? That there is this inmost, and it's made in the image of heaven, and there's this other part that's made in the image of the world, and we bring the two together, imperfectly granted. But how do we come back to, again, again and again, that idea of first things recognizably first. First things recognizably first. That's what I want to talk about. I want to use the example here of, of, of trying to see that, it, that again, there, whether you're talking a church or a community, that there's, there are two parts of the same thing. And I look at stories in the Bible, you know, stories where Jesus is talking to, to this group called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, they were sort of the, the, the rigid legal structure of faith, which, which you can definitely have. And here's Jesus, and he's, he, he's kind of turning it around. He's flipping it. So much of the New Testament, much of the part that's written about Jesus' life, is written about how this, this tension plays out between the two. And today, uh, and granted, probably a lot of you do not know this reference, but there's a famous, probably, probably one of the most famous historically comedy skits of all time in American history. It's Who's On First by Abbott on Costello. So without leaving the service and without Googling it right now, Go ahead and take a look at that at some point in time today, because it's, it's fun. It's a fun little skit. And, and that, whole, that whole idea is sort of that where that plays out in this is this, this Bible story that's filled with a lot of, I think, subtle humor. And it's, it's where they're trying to figure out, like, who the sinner is. Who is the sinner? And, and you think about how much of the time we enter a space and we want to know who the bad guys are. We want to know who to blame. We want to know who's at fault. Any parent who's gone away from a weekend and come home to their teenager having a surprise party at their house knows exactly what I'm talking about. We want to know kind of who's at fault, who did wrong, who did this, who did, we want to know right away. And granted, there, there, are, there are clear times for that. Like accountability is a really good thing. And we also need balance. We need to not get consumed by this idea of who is the sinner. Because what that stuff slowly does is it, 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 like, it contracts us. It contracts us from being able to see other people. And it leaves us in a very dangerous position of being the judge. I mean, one of the things, and many of you have heard me say this before, I say it a lot, you know, that's one of the, the dangerous rackets of forgiveness even. You know, sometimes with forgiveness, we confuse Forgiveness with kind of like a royal pardon, you know, that I have decided to forgive you, <laughs> which is not good, not good. So, so how is it, folks, that we, that we do this? And you're going to see this debate in terms of who is the actual sinner. And I want to look at this story. This is a beautiful story here from the Gospel of John. And the context is this. There's a, there's a blind man. He's sitting by the gates. He's, he's had mud, uh, you know, mud placed on his eyes. And there's a healing that takes place. And that's where we go through the, this part of, of who is actually the sinner. So it starts out here. It starts out with this. It starts out with this. So, so the disciples are gathered around this man, and they ask, 
Who sinned, this person or their parents? So that's, that's time number one. Like, who sinned, this person or their parents? Because back then, sin was considered a hereditary thing. In other words, if, if you were blind or, or you had some sort of disability, it's because your parents had sinned, and that's how God was sort of punishing you. It's a very transactional view of love. It's a very transactional view of God's love. That God's love isn't constant. That God's love is this thing that we earn, and if you earn enough of whatever, that means you will get blessed by God's love, and if you don't, you won't. It's a complete aside, not a sermon in and of itself, though it could be. That's the danger, again, of the prosperity gospel. You know, it used to be people thought, well, if you, you were struggling with things, that meant you weren't doing it right spiritually. And, and prosperity gospel says, if you're doing really well, that's all because, you know, you prayed right and you did these things the right way. And, and that's, that's dangerous. I mean, God's game is, is bigger than all of that, far bigger than all of that. So it goes on, folks, to these other parts. We have this idea, this first one, who sinned this person or this parent? And then, and then the, the, the Pharisees get in. So Jesus heals the man. Now he can see. Now he can see. So he goes to the temple, and he's, he's there proclaiming healing. Now he can see. You can imagine the sheer joy this guy had. And that's where we pick this up. This is where the Pharisee says, This man, Jesus, is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? Now, even, even this is like, it, it just is interesting to look at. It's interesting to look at it historically. Because, because these Pharisees were so into the rules, they believed that, look, if I healed on the Sabbath day, if you did anything on the Sabbath, including healing, that that was a sin. Churches... Churches always have to make a choice. Are we going to be a museum for saints or a hospital for sinners? And if we get all consumed about rules and the, and the way everything has to look, we can, we can clearly start to not choose so wisely. And even this, this silliness of like, Jesus heals a guy on the Sabbath, and they're like, got to stop that stuff out. Don't know where that goes. I mean, you can see the humor in that. And then the other part of the quote, which I enjoy, is, is that last part. And, and how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? So, so they're saying Jesus is obviously the sinner. Now Now that the locus of blame has shifted on to Jesus because he healed on the Sabbath. Again, they're blaming him because he healed on the Sabbath. You know, and, and they're saying, look, it's obvious that this, somebody who's this depraved, you know, how can they do this kind of sign? Notice they didn't use the word miracle. They didn't use the word healing. They didn't use the word care. They didn't use the word compassion. They were just looking for a sign. And whatever it was, no doubt they were going to twist it into something negative. So there we see the second part of this answer, who is the sinner? And then the guy gets healed, and he has the answer to it all. I like this. He says, whether Jesus is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, I was blind, and now I can see. The beauty of that, where the man simply saying, I was this, and now I'm that. 
been able to see, I can see now in ways that I, that I couldn't imagine seeing before. Is this answer good enough? Big surprise. No, it's not. And here this answer, the last part of the answer to the question, who is the sinner? You, the blind man, were completely born in sins, and you are teaching us, and they cast him out. So the blame comes right back to them. Folks, I want you to see, see like the, uh, you know, the, the, the need, almost the compulsive need that we see in this story to find somebody who's the sinner, to, to sort of point out and figure out who the wrong person is. And Jesus, it's interesting. You know, when you look at the Bible, and I, I say this a lot, but boy, I just like, oh boy, I just think it's so important. It's important what we read, and it's equally important what we don't read. We read in a lot of places where people are searching out who the sinner is. We never read that about Jesus. He never enters a room trying to figure out who the sinner is in the room. The rooms he enters into, and folks, like, like listen carefully here, please. The rooms, the spaces, the places he enters into, he's stepping into them, thinking who is here that needs healing. It's very different. Who is here that needs to be blamed versus who is here that need healing are very different questions. And I think, I imagine for all of us, we can see where we can show up in both. And, and you know, the same is very true of our communities and our churches where we can wonder, well, who's the person who we need to blame? Who's the sinner? Who's the person who's getting it all wrong? Very different question to step in and think, how do I serve in this place? Where can we create some healing here? And my vote is that that second question is much more significant. It's definitely better than the question, who is the sinner? So Jesus has an interesting line here. Read this, folks. This is from John 9, 34. I have come into this world that those who are blind may see. Just talking about the man he's healed. And that those who see made blind. Now, now that, that line is really interesting to me. And, and you know, and frankly, until, um, you know, until I, I did a little Bible study on this, uh, well, I guess about three weeks ago, I had read it a certain way. And then it's like, no, that's, that's not the message. The message I had read it with, you know, for, for again, for most of my life reading this line was like, okay, so Jesus is going to take these, these people who really think they see it all and he's going to sort of smite them with blindness. But Jesus never does that. We never read of Jesus inflicting um, any kind of physical harm on anyone. So it must be talking about something else here. And with the Bible, it's always important to remember, it's not talking about them. You know, where we might wish, well, I hope that they think they see it all. Well, let me tell you, Jesus is going to blind. No, it's not that. It's, it's this idea, folks, please, this is just so important. There are parts of us where with God's grace, 
we need to learn a new blindness. There are parts of us that with God's grace, we need to learn a new blindness. And I imagine you have some ideas about that. And I would like to hear them. What I would love for you to do is you can put the chat in Facebook, in live stream on YouTube, or you can text me this in answer to this question. What might be a life-giving blindness for you? Where do you feel like, yeah, I just, I, I really want to learn to be blind in this regard, to not, to not see things the same way? Where would a life-giving blindness be for you? And it might take a little wrestling to get to that. So I want you to text that in to me, what your thoughts might be in 60 seconds. We'll get 60 seconds to do this. And when I come back out, we're going to chat about some of these answers, and I'm going to tell you a story, a story about someone who had one of these blindnesses and, and learned, to, learned to see it a new way because of it. So please take 60 seconds and do that. some of those answers and, and what I want to do is I want to tell you a story now and actually it's a it's a family story that I that I heard fairly recently and, and it's interesting the way it works when we start to see what we can't see when we start to, to get blind to certain things when we start to get blind to, to certain things in a good way we're able to see the world in a very different way it's interesting and again a lot of it might come across as semantics but it, but I think it's important. I, I, I think we live in a world where, where too much, we maybe get too enamored with our own opinion about things. <laughs> we may believe just because I see it, it's correct. Is that true, folks? Yes or no? Yeah. I'll give you a second chance. Is that true, folks? Yeah. No. I'm going to go with no. I'm going to go with no. I would say just because we see it doesn't mean it's necessarily true, which is kind of an interesting perspective. Let me, let, me share a, let me share a story with you folks on that. So I want to sit over here and, and talk about a story. So this is a story about my dad, Ken Blair. So dad, my dad was a, was a medic during the Korean War. And he was a medic with a group of, of combat engineers. And so what he would do would be one of his jobs was to take people from, from frontline areas, drive them back in ambulances to MASH units. You know, the favorite show, MASH, back in the day. And, and Dad had something, told me a story. And again, every few years he pops out a new story. And this one was kind of interesting to me. 
Dad said, you know, he went into a mass unit, and at that time in the Korean War, they're fighting the North Koreans and they're fighting the Chinese together, those two were allies. And he goes into the hospital and he sees one of his enemies there, one of his, his enemies being a Chinese soldier, and he's in a cot and he's eating an apple. Now, that, that may not sound like a big deal, but it certainly was. It was actually was life-changing for my dad. Why was it life-changing? Dad said, you know, he comes in, he's dropping off soldiers, and he sees the enemy, and he sees the enemy eating apples, and this is pretty basic logic. And dad's like, I like apples. And dad said, you know, I realized this. I mean, what an incredible gift. Dad realized this. He said, you know, we're all one. We're all one. I mean, just, just think about that. Like, there was a blindness of sorts there. Who's the enemy, who's not? And then there's this new sight that became really important to my dad. That kind of, of, of life-giving blindness, I think that's what Jesus is talking about here. That we can start to see blindness in a new, in a new way. Start to see things in a, in a much more, um, yeah, life-giving way. I mean, just a, a few answers that, that folks, folks had, had today. Um, oh boy, there's got a lot of answers here. I'm never going to be able to go through all these. Uh, you know, just one somebody read, I'd, I'd love to be blind. I'd love to be blind to fear. I need to be blind towards my, my, my former partner and their upcoming service. I need to get rid in my mind of, and my heart of judgment and to get that a whole new world opens up as my heart opens. Beautiful. Oh, here's a good one. Blind to contempt in our hearts. Oh, boy, you folks are so good with this stuff. Blind to the bad so we can see more of the good. That one's, there's, there's such wisdom in that. I said it last week, and it was, it was stunning to me. Like 87% of all news coverage is negative. And I feel like our lives, so much of it's like a news ticker tape. You pull out the bad, the good's the default. Doesn't mean we're not candid. It doesn't mean we don't address issues that need addressed. It's just a fascinating perspective there. Blindness comes towards what camp people are in. Learned prejudices, that's, that's, that's a big one. A New England congregant says, beating ourselves up, not, giving our, not forgiving ourselves for our transgressions and sins, right? Like we can, we, can, we can create a racket there, right? Where that's all we see. And we need to be a little bit blind to that. Without it coming irresponsible, financial worries for the future. We all get so worried about that, that stuff. Several times when I stopped talking and listened to others, and not only took on their perspectives, but this is the key, took on the perspectives, but I had the humility to see I was wrong. Hard to do. Easy to say, hard to do. 
Moments of vulnerability made me blind enough to see the next sunrise illuminating the next day. That is beautifully said. Politics, that's a good one. I tend to think the ones I hold dearest are suffering as a result of my misdoings in this life or beyond. And then I remind myself that God is a forgiving, loving God and is each one of us on our own personal journeys. Amen to that. So, so folks, like this is a big question, right? Your, your response is, I mean, some, one of these days, I just want to do a service where all you do is text me the whole time because <laughs> they're so good. I mean, that's just spot on. I mean, can you hear what starts to happen when we embrace a life-giving blindness? When we get that just because we see it doesn't make it true. And that we can, we can lower ourselves into a deeper humility there. And that humility can allow us to see what's the other side of what's the other side of, of, a, of a wolf of a good of a good life-giving blindness. I think part of it's curiosity. Curiosity because I don't know. I just don't know anymore. But it's not the panic of I don't know, like I don't have a map or the GPS on my phone is working, which terrified me yesterday, just saying. You know, it's not that kind of worry. It's, it's the inquisitive, curious, joy-filled, hope-filled, I don't know. And let's find out. And there's a brand new way of seeing, I think, on the other side of that. Folks, look at this, this piece of theology here that I love. And it's, it's, it's that idea, okay, so if, if we're really going to do that, that means we're going to be able to be open to see that everyone has their place. My dad's perspective, with a Chinese soldier, we're all one. Take a look at this beautiful piece of theology. The call, the call is to contribute something to the common good, giving every person a relationship to the inclusive community and its well-being. It's mean, part of our job, we're trying to create communities that go into this image of heaven, right? This innermost, this inner self, if we're going to try to create communities that do that, we have to find inroads into that. And one of the primary inroads into that is this idea of allow people, like let's help people build relationships, as it says here, to the inclusive community and its well-being. We find a place for everyone. Very different from the question, who is the center? Much more fun place than the question, who is, who is the sinner? Now, as they come out here, as we work towards closing the service, again, we're doing a little different format. So we're going to have a song coming up, then I'll come back for a for last comment and a, and a closing, closing prayer. I want you to think how this all deals with, with church. You know, again, not church is kind of this two-part thing, but this beautiful idea, this beautiful idea, everything, everything about the church looks to goodwill as its final goal. Think about that. When we come back, we're just going to pull it all together, do a prayer, and leave with a beautiful song.
I see the crystal raindrops fall And the beauty of it all Is when the sun comes shining through To make those rainbows in my mind When I think of you sometimes I want to spend some time with you Just the two of us We can make it if we try Just the two of us Just the two of us, just the two of us, building castles in the sky, just the two of us, you and I. We look for love, no time for tears, wasted water's all that is, it don't make no flowers grow. Good things might come to those who wait, not to those who wait too late. We gotta go for all we know, just the two of us. We can make it if we try, just the two of us. Just the two of us, just the two of us. Building them castles way up high, just the two of us, you and I. I hear the crystal raindrops fall on the window down the hall and it becomes the morning dew. And darling, when the morning comes and I see the morning sun, I want to be the one with you, just the two of us. We can make it if we try, just the two of us, just the two of us. Just the two of us Building them castles way on high Just the two of us You and I beautiful song and uh yeah folks like like let's, let's let's just pull it all together right so there are two of me there are two of you there are two of us and i feel that tension is gonna just be clear throughout our whole lives we'll always be battling those two together And yet all that external tension, all it is, ready for this? All it is is an invitation back to our best selves. My best self, your best self, our best self. And that invitation, folks, that invitation becomes so much part of, of this idea of the eternal witness. Because, you know, I just have to, like, smile. Like, it, it, we should all feel really good about this. It should fill our hearts with joy. Again, and that joy, it's, it's so much of the time, like that joy, somebody will be like, yeah, but Chuck, that's not realistic. Well, you know, and I've said this a bunch, when you say that kind of thing, you realize what you're really saying? When somebody's in a joyful place, you're saying that's not realistic. You're saying reality is a downer. 
I don't agree that reality is a downer at all. I think reality is really hard. <laughs> it's really challenging. It's really tiring. And some days feel completely broken. But I also know that there's a God, a loving God, who holds the whole thing. A loving, eternal witness to it all. And it's a very different place to live in the place of, of I'm going to be a loving, eternal witness, reflecting as imperfectly as is humanly possible. You know that it's imperfect, but I'm going to do the best I can. Yes, folks, the music did squelch and one of the chords was not working. That's life. And they still did the song. That's my life, that's your life, that's our life. The difference between eternal witness and eternal blame is very large. And I think we can choose something different. I think we can choose that inmost, that self that is made in heaven. And, and folks, we can, we can see it in other people. We can share it with other people. That's where, that's where we're supposed to be in life. That's how it's supposed to work. It's how it's set up to work. And we get to choose that. I close with these beautiful words from Bob Goff. Jesus said people who followed him should think of themselves more like ushers rather than bouncers. <laughs> Isn't that a good line? We are the ones who simply show people to their seats. I love that, right? We're not here to be bouncers. We're just not. We're just not. We're here to be ushers. We're here to help to show people to this. And, and what are we showing them to? Well, we're showing them to God's good world. I didn't use the word perfect. I used the word good there. We're showing them to God's good world. We're showing them to God's good creation. We're showing them to those pieces, to, to the better angels of all of our natures. So, as we move forward, let's take that as seriously as we can. Let's, let's maybe even embrace in the week ahead those, those things that we actually need to be blind to. And it might be fear, it might be judgment, it might be any number of things, but, but, but really pray for that sort of that, that great spiritual blindness that can actually be life-giving and can open you up to a world, folks, that God promises us from the very beginning is not only good, but as God says, very good. Amen. What we're going to do now is I'm going to offer a prayer. After we do the prayer, you'll have a moment for a little, little meditative moment as we go into the Lord's Prayer. And then after that, a little blessing and then our final song. So please join me. So Lord, thank you for your presence here among us today. And Lord, help us to again wrestle as best we can. As Martha Graham famously said, the angels of God wrestled and grew strong. They chose and they acted. Help us, Lord, to make that choice and make that choice consistently, not for trying to figure out who is the sinner, but to figure out where is the healing. What role can we play? How can we, in ways imperfect, with imperfect tools and an imperfect humanity, Humbly be part of your healing of the world. Tikkun olam.
each bringing our own little piece of light to it. Thank you, Lord, for your presence, for your energy, for your grace today. Bless our ways in the week ahead. Your prayer. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and bring you peace and bring you home. Amen.
Thanks for clapping along. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week.